0: Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy
1: the show. We have inherited a way of reading scripture that says all you need is the English on the page. That's it.
0: Those are the waters we swim in. And that's
1: what that's really doing is seeding all of the interpretive work to your subconscious, to your biases, to your assumptions that you've inherited. And again, those assumptions and biases and worldviews that we've inherited, they are not the ones the Israelites had who wrote and first had this story. Hmm.
0: Everybody, we're back one more time with Ben Spackman. You know him by now. Hopefully, if you don't go watch the first episode we did with him, where we introduce him, he's a smart guy. We'll just summarize that he's a smart guy today. We're going to jump into um, a topic that, uh, it's not really singularly a Latter-day Saint topic. Christians are talking about this all over the place, debating about it. Um, I see this question come up among Latter-day Saint missionaries and members a lot. Um, and I'm just going to throw the question right out there. We're talking about Noah's flood, the Noah's Ark. the Global flood, etc.
1: Dum dum dum. I, I'm going to throw it straight <laughs> out.
0: Yeah, it's a heavy topic. So I'm teeing this up for you. So yeah. was the flood global, local, or was there no flood at all? Is it is it metaphorical? Is it allegorical? How should we read this story?
1: So I think, like we do with the earlier chapters of Genesis, we have this strong tendency to see the flood as historical. And we think there's a lot at stake there. Yeah, like the only way to think of the flood as non-historical is to reject scripture,
0: because hmm. um, it's one of our favorite stories. Is it is the flood. Um,
1: one of my one of my favorite Bible scholars, Peter Enns, who's an evangelical, mm-hmm. says one of the problems with the flood story is it lends itself really easy to kids' books because you've got all the animals two by two and the animals make noises and you get to name all the animals and then there's a boat and kids love boats and he says the problem is a lot of us take our view of noah's flood from primary and we never get past it and it's a bit more complicated than that and i i think that's true um i grew up with a flannel board Mm -hmm. noah flood animals things that that i still kind of remember my parents doing on the couch so When it comes to the flood, I want to try to put us in the sandals of the Israelites and think about this the way they would have. And uh, the first thing would be if you said globe, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. What? I know. I know. The reason being, Israelites and their neighbors thought of the earth as flat. Uh, It's kind of an inverse snow globe model where you have um, this flat disk earth and a snow globe overhead, but it's not keeping the water in, it's keeping all the other water out.
0: This is, is the did you see the episode we did where we mentioned this? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. My Sandy's Tree the, Dome comparison.
1: This is the firmament restraining the right the cosmic waters, yeah, uh, dividing the waters above from right. the waters below that is, the earthly waters and the waters below the earth. So, so. Earth, human existence is inside this, this air dome surrounded by the cosmic waters. Um, And the dome's held up by, you know, mountains at the extremes, perhaps. And uh, so if you say a global flood, you're automatically bringing something to the text that's not necessarily there. Um, When they talk about all lands being flooded, we immediately think like, well, how could God kill all the people in Australia and and South Africa and China and, you know, they they didn't even know. And for the Israelites, they would say, what's Australia? Yeah. What what is Australia? I don't know what you're talking about. So um, a lot of people want to try to solve these problems by saying it wasn't a global flood, it was a local flood. And I think, well, you can make a few arguments in that direction. I mean, the Hebrew word for land, Eretz, usually doesn't mean like the entire okay. planet, the globe, it means like a piece of land. So okay. Oftentimes it just refers to the land of Israel. Okay. Um, but I don't think that gets us very far because if it really is a limited scope flood, what do you need all those animals for,
0: right? Every animal, two of every single ti- kind of animal.
1: And so um, I think if we don't think of... The flood in Genesis six through nine is either a local flood or a global flood, but a a cosmological flood that is in Genesis where we learn about this concept of the flat earth with the firmament and the heavenly waters. That is God's first creation. And in the Genesis flood story, God basically says, we're going to hit the reset button. And a lot of the language harkens back to Genesis one. And so when Noah comes off the ark, the waters have receded and there's dry land. He gets the same commandment to uh, multiply and replenish just as there is back in Genesis 1. Hmm. Noah is basically the new Adam. Mm-hmm. So when I say cosmological, we think of a global flood as like it flooded and we kept going around the sun and comets kept going by. But for them, this is the destruction of everything.
0: This is the this cosmos is, caving in on yeah. them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, the heavens are. Opened the sluices are opened. Hmm. Uh, in some other texts, there's actually a lesser deity who is the sluice master of the heavens. That is, it's, it's his job to go around and open the sluices to let the rain in and stuff.
0: In the firmament.
1: In the firmament, yeah. yeah.
0: And that's so interesting because when we think of you know our primary version of this story, we think of oh, it rained a lot. Yeah. But if you're an Israelite, you've got this dome over your head yep. with water yep. on the other side. A lot of water. Yeah and the window and the the windows and doors are opening and and you're in trouble
1: so from the israelite perspective this is not a flood this is the universe is ceasing to exist Mm. we're going back to zero yeah we're starting over now the reason for this is in genesis 6 and it's actually really important there are two key words here in hebrew that get repeated throughout the text one of them is violence and one of them is corruption God does the flood because all of creation has been corrupted by human intentions and actions that are just violent and malevolent all the time. Uh, And this is not what creation was for. So he's going to start over. Now, what's interesting about this is in previous videos, we've talked about kind of setting Genesis against its ancient Near Eastern background. Right. And most people know that Egyptians and Babylonians and Sumerians, they had their own kind of big flood stories. And usually we say that to kind of mean like, oh well, the flood happened and the Bible's the true version and they also had their version. but
0: yeah. They're all based on a negative yeah. truth.
1: Their versions are actually much older. Okay. And in some of these other versions, you've got uh, multiple gods at the top and kind of a tier of gods, you know, they're the senior gods and the middle class gods and they're the slave gods and then there are humans down in the mud. And the humans are just too noisy and they annoy the high gods. And so they decide to just wipe them out like that. It's capricious, it's petty, but that's what gods are. They don't care about humans. By contrast, in Genesis, the reason for the flood is basically God's morality and justice. He is bringing this to wipe it clean, to start over, to change things. Hmm. Now, the second aspect of this is in some of these other ancient Near Eastern flood accounts, humans are only saved on a boat because there's a rebellious god who goes down and warns them Hmm. whereas in genesis god wants humans to survive he himself is responsible for telling noah this is what i'm gonna do this is why i'm doing it i want humans to survive because humans are very good per day six of genesis and um noah who never speaks in genesis by the way as i can recall interesting noah is described as perfect in his generation, and the rabbis have usually interpreted that as saying Noah was actually not a very good guy, but compared to everybody else,
0: <laughs> he was great.
1: And um, notably, when God comes to Noah and says, "I'm going to kill everyone," what is Noah's response? Eh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And you can contrast that a little bit with Abraham at Sodom and Gomorrah where he knows firsthand it's a really bad place. And when God says, I'm gonna destroy it, he says, well, what if there are good people in there too? Yeah, and he bargains God down. Mm. And so comparatively, Noah does not look great. He is only perfect in his generation.
0: That's interesting.
1: But again, these are things we get out of comparing, out of comparing Noah to Abraham, out of comparing the Israelite flood story to these other flood stories that the Israelites knew. So the Israelite, that's monotheistic, God is moral. God cares about humans. God is concerned about the degree of violence and inhumanity that humans are doing in creation.
0: So this was an Israelite response, a kind of an Israelite statement of who their God is yeah. and what he stands for.
1: Yeah, if, if, you, if you could go back to, to the Israelite author or editor, whatever you want to say, and say, what's the point of this story? It wouldn't be, well, I'm the clerk and I'm recording the facts about the flood, which is how we want to read it Right, and say, there's this other flood story that says these really nasty things about who humans are and who God is. And we have our own version of that that says, no, that's not right. There is a God, not these fighting gods and tears of gods and the rebel God who helps humans survive. There is one God overall, one divine mind. It is moral, it is just, it cares about us. That's the point of the story. This flood stuff is just the medium for telling it. Now, if you took your average Israelite and said, was there a flood? They might have said, oh, I know that story. But I don't know if they would have drawn stark distinctions between like history, myth, science.
0: Then that was kind of going to be my next question yeah. is, is as far as historicity goes, what is at stake here? Yeah. If it's not historically accurate?
1: um. Very little, I think.
0: And Um, and I think that the majority of Christianity would disagree with you there. Maybe. But but make your case.
1: Well, I would say that scripture is true, but how you perceive its truth depends on what you think it's trying to say. Hmm. If I go into the New Testament and I say, Jesus is such a liar, there was never a Samaritan who took care of a guy who got robbed. That is absolutely false your response might be, he wasn't, he wasn't telling a historical story. He was telling a parable. And parables are intending to convey a certain kind of truth that is not historical truth. They're speaking about reality in a different way. And so if we perceive the truths of the flood story to be historical truths, that is what it's trying to teach. Then, if someone comes along and says, oh, the flood didn't happen, we perceive that as an attack on scripture, an attack on inspiration, an attack on prophets. And there are some secondary aspects because we get some of this echoed in the Pearl of Great Price, which is complicated and I don't want to go into, but okay. it's, it's, not a, it's not a killer issue uh, from any direction in my perspective. Um,
0: so, So long story short, the story of Noah and his Ark and the flood fits more into the genre of parable for for you well
1: i wouldn't say parable i would put it in a non historical genre but our genre labels don't map very well onto ancient israelite labels yeah and the only one that i would be inclined to use is one that people recoil against pretty hard because we have tv shows like MythBusters, where Mm -hmm. to say something is myth is to say something is false Mm -hmm. but myth is a story about reality there's a story that explains the way things are, and that doesn't have anything to do with the if the elements of that story really happened or not. And I've talked about this on my blog a little. Um, there are some philosophers of science and biblical scholars who talk about science as myth, because science is intending to provide explanations for why things are the way they are. They may not be presented as stories or as narratives that you read to your kid, mm-hmm. but they are still myths in the sense that Here's an explanation of what's going on and why it happens that way. And by the way, C.S. Lewis called Christianity something like the truest myth. Hmm. And he certainly didn't mean, well, Jesus wasn't really divine, he wasn't really resurrected. He is talking about that myth in the sense of a powerful story that explains and shapes us.
0: There are a lot of people who, um, inside and outside the church, who might look at this conversation and say, Well, you just don't have enough faith, right? Uh, This this could be real. This could have happened. But you don't have enough faith to to look at it that way. And you're trying to weasel your way out um, and find an out for yourself. Yeah. What would your response be to a a comment like that, which? there are probably going to be comments. There will be
1: comments (laughs) like that, no doubt. Um, First of all, I would say. You can't really believe scripture without trying to understand it first okay Um, you know if I if I if I brought you something written out in Hebrew which I'm assuming you don't know
0: you know I said do you believe this actually yeah I don't
1: you would say well I, I don't know what does it say yeah what does it mean the problem is we have inherited a way of reading scripture that says all you need is the English on the page that's it
0: those are the waters we
1: swim in, and that's what that's really doing is seeding all of the interpretive work to your subconscious to your biases to your assumptions that you've inherited and again those assumptions and biases and worldviews that we've inherited they are not the ones the Israelites had who wrote and first had this story Hmm. so um, but I would also say uh, I believe in a God of miracles. I believe what Mosiah says, that he can do all these things. But I have a lot of trouble believing in a trickster God who's going to do this massive worldwide lengthy miracle and then hide 99% of the evidence for it. Mm-hmm. Because if there was a flood that covered all of the mountains, then you know, Israel doesn't really have mountains. They have Mount Hermon in the north, it's not very tall relatively speaking. But if there was a flood that covered the entire world and the Himalayas and the Rockies to however many cubits it says, and all life should stem from one source where Noah's boat landed, there should be all kinds of evidence of that miracle from 5,000 years ago. And there's not. And some Latter-day Saints have tried to get around this. There was one who actually wrote an article about God teleporting the kangaroos back to Australia. And once I'd
0: like to read that
1: once we have to start inventing things the text doesn't say or imply to defend our reading of it as historical, that to me kind of says we're off base because all of the evidence, and I don't start primarily with the scientific evidence. I start primarily with trying to read in Hebrew as an Israelite would and what do they know? And that to me says, this is not trying to be a historical story. And then I go out and I say, okay, and the scientific evidence seems to confirm that. Hmm. I don't start with the science. Yeah. I start with the the interpretive process, the biblical studies aspects and, and things like that. So. I am not unaccustomed to being accused of being a faithless liberal, which I always kind of have to smile at because I also get accused of being an ultra-conservative apologist. Hmm. So I, I occupy this weird space, yeah. right? I just want us to get to what Scripture says and means. And I think sometimes we get away from that because we have our own traditions, we have our own ways of doing things, and they kind of overpower stuff. Yeah. Um, getting back to scripture is a very conservative thing, even if what scripture actually says is kind of uncomfortable or non-traditional in some ways. Yeah. There's this idea of the baptism of the earth mm, that is yeah. pretty heavily LDS. Mm-hmm. There's actually a good article on that from uh, the Religious Study Center, but my, my take on the baptism of the earth is, I agree that baptism is important, but how far does that extend? We don't baptize animals. Mm-hmm. We don't baptize plants. Why does the Earth need baptism? Does the Earth have a will? Has it sinned? Does do it? Need to, can to, it repent?
0: Do we need to do temple ordinances uh, I, for the Earth?
1: I mean, the looking at the flood as the baptism of the Earth, it's a really easy analogy to make, especially yeah. if you think baptism is important. Baptism by immersion, right? Yeah. But that's one of those traditions that uh, we borrowed a little from Protestants, but then we really ran with it on our own. And um, it creates a second layer of problems because if, if someone comes to me and says, well, there has to have been an immersion of the earth because the earth has to have been baptized. And my response to that is to say, well, the idea of the baptism of the earth came from people interpreting the flood. So Mm. you can't use the baptism of the earth as proof of the flood because the flood gave rise (laughs) to the baptism of the earth. That's circular, that's circularity right there. Mm. So, but you know, John Witso, who struggled with this as a scientist said, maybe it just rained everywhere at the same time. And the earth was for a very brief moment covered with, you know, a quarter inch of water um, because the science just does not work there. And even if God miraculously did it, he didn't leave any evidence of him doing it. And I, I really struggle with people who want to push the idea of a trickster god who would hide all the evidence. Yeah. That's not the same thing as one man being resurrected in a not very literary country 2000 years ago. What kind of evidence would that leave?
0: Yeah, not much. Basically
1: what we have, Yeah, right? Very different than the flood. So. Um,
0: so as you've mentioned, we're really fighting against tradition here with this idea. Maybe just to just to wrap up for our viewers out there who are struggling with this clash of what they think that they have known and what you're telling them right now. Can you can you provide a soft space for them to land? What advice would you have for them as they try and reconcile these views?
1: You know, new ideas don't come easily. Jamesy e. Talmadge told a story in which, I guess they were not working with electricity at the time he told this story, but he told the story of a lamp salesman who came in broad daylight and tried to tell him, look how great my lamp is, and your lamp's terrible, and he compared him to another lamp salesman who came along at night and said, oh, I see you're, you know, you're a student, you're reading, that's nice. I've got a lamp for sale and he turned it on and he said he didn't say anything bad about my lamp but showing me how great this other lamp was i really wanted that lamp i don't present any of this stuff to undermine people's faith or give them something new to struggle with for me i have come to this over you know my 20 years of study in in history and ancient near east and all this other stuff because i went that lamp is so much brighter I can believe I can accept scripture. I can preach scripture. I can accept science. It solves so many problems and it doesn't feel unfaithful to me at all, again, because of how I understand the nature of scripture and how we should interpret scripture. Hmm. So for me, it's just a much brighter lamp that uh, solves a lot of problems. Yeah, I don't expect other people who hear a 10 minute, you know, YouTube video to go, oh, yeah. Yeah, because it didn't happen that way for me. Sure, a- and you know, most people can't replicate my six years of graduate study and Assyrian and things like that. But when you see all of this laid out, it's a bright lamp. Well said. Thank you.
0: I appreciate that. I appreciate you being here. Do you have any final thoughts? Or are we good to go?
1: I think we've covered just about everything.
0: Yeah. Again, we've only scratched the surface of this topic as as per usual. Oh sarcasm with with Ben's, with Ben's episodes. Um, but as always, check out his 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 work, his blog, his uh, firesides, his presentations They're on the internet. We'll leave some in the description for you to check out. But uh, go check that out. guys, thanks for being with us. Ben, thank you for being with us. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you guys next time.